My name is Pastor Burt Jones, and you're listening to CMDA Matters, the weekly podcast of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. I'll be your host for the next two weeks while Dr. Chupp is in Israel co-hosting our CMDA tour. If you're interested in participating in one of our CMDA tours to Israel, Greece, Italy, or other destinations in 2023, be sure to start planning now. These tours fill up quickly. Visit cmda.org events for more information. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to remind you that this is a special time of the year when many are considering their year-end charitable contributions. More than in recent years, your CMDA needs your prayers and generous financial support during this season of the year. Earlier this month, Dr. Chupp announced our $655,000 goal for November and December. To inspire the rest of us to give generously, a few donors have stepped up recently with a $85,000 matching gift to advance the mission and ministries of CMDA. If you're looking for a great return on investment, please consider a gift to CMDA today, which means your gift will have double the impact. If you already have given, thank you so much. Your support means the world to all of us. To give your gift, visit cmda.org give or call 888-230-2637. Our guest today is Colonel Doug Soderdahl, MD, a fellowship-trained urologist who recently retired from the U.S. Army as a colonel after more than 30 years on active duty. Let's jump right into his recent conversation with Dr. Chubb. Well, today on CMDA Matters, I have as my guest, Dr. Doug Soderdahl, who's a fellowship trained urologist and who recently retired from the Army as a colonel after 30 plus years on active duty, who was commissioned through the ROTC program at Wheaton College, where he graduated summa cum laude and was a distinguished military graduate. He then went on to Northwestern University in 1991, actually the birthplace of CMDS or CMS at that time, uh, where he got his medical degree and was AOA. Some of you out there know what that means, Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Society in medical school. He completed his urology residency at the Madigan Army Medical Center in 1997 and then fellowship trained in laparoscopy and endourology at Eastern Virginia Medical School in 2004. He's board certified by the American Board of Urology and actually served as urologic surgery consultant to the Army Surgeon General. Doug has held academic faculty appointments at the Medical College of Georgia, as well as East Virginia Medical School, as well as the Uniform Services University of Health Sciences. He's been a part of the American Urologic Association, as well as the Society of Government Service Urologists. There's some things in that bio that suggest to me that you came out of a Christian family. So why don't you tell us about how you met Jesus Christ and decided to follow him? Yeah, it's something that I was raised in a Christian family and really was introduced to the gospel early on in my life. And as a young child, I committed my life to Jesus. I really understood that Christ had died for me and that it wasn't up to me to be good enough. It was Christ's righteousness that was impugned to me. Maybe I didn't completely understand it as a young child, but going through high school and college, it was something that you know, really with just more study and, and, and focus and the Holy Spirit illuminating scripture, just something that 
you know, really has been part of my life for as long as I can remember. Well, during those 30 plus years in the Army, as an officer, Doug, and as an ardent follower of Christ, what were some of the challenges that you faced being in the Army as a Christian and or what challenges have you seen other believers uh, encounter in the U.S. military? I would say that my experience really has been overwhelmingly positive. It's something that I found, and one of the things the organizations that I've been part of, uh, Officers Christian Fellowship, mm-hmm. really leads one to understand the importance of finding a community of believers. When I was in my residency at Madigan in the Seattle-Tacoma area, really we lived in a neighborhood on post that was made up of doctors in training and just found an unbelievable community of Christians and were very supportive of each other and just maintain lifelong friends from that. One thing that I think that's important for people to recognize is that the military does recognize the importance of spiritual dynamics and religion. You know, they have a dedicated chaplain corps. You know, one of the things that I would say maybe is a challenge is that there is a, a chain of command. There is a, you know, a dynamic that you, know, you really can't use your position to influence somebody in something that's directly spiritual. Mm-hmm. But I think that lifestyle evangelism, developing trust is really important. And once you do that with the folks that you are with, that you follow, that you lead, I think they, they become that you're a trusted agent and they will go to you and come to you for things that are really important in life. One of the things that is exciting to me was that I found that the army values and they, they have uh, an acronym, they have acronyms for everything, but it's leadership, L-D-R-S-H-I-P and it's loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honesty, integrity, and personal courage. Those all resonate with me as a Christian. Sure they do. When you deploy to a war zone, it's really true that adage that there's no atheists in the foxhole. People are, are very open to you know what is the meaning of life when you don't know if you know something could explode or something could happen the next day when you're in the middle of a war and so i think those those open the door to conversations and it was interesting that the first deployment that i went on in iraq was actually to a town called mosul which mm-hmm. is in the nineveh province and so you have an automatic you know, way to start the conversation is like, hey, we're in Nineveh. Guess what? <laughs> There's some biblical, you know, uh, significance to this Did you place. see any remnants of Nineveh when you were uh, there? I actually did. I, oh, I wow. got a chance to to go out and, and see some remnants of, uh, of Nineveh. So that was really kind of neat. What are the conflicts uh, you, you mentioned uh, in Iraq? Any other conflicts in which you were actively serving in, as, as an officer? Yeah, I actually got a opportunity to go to Iraq twice, once in 2005. And that was a time when there was a high operational tempo, a lot of kinetic injuries, uh, a lot of a lot of trauma happening. And for those who remember specifics in the war, maybe remember Fallujah, you know, being the battle for Fallujah. And that was where a lot of insurgents and a lot of bad folks were and wasn't too far from Baghdad. And I found that I was going to Mosul, which was in northern Iraq and a little bit farther away from that activity. But right before I arrived, the U.S. forces decided, hey, we're going to stamp out everything going on in Fallujah, but we're going to tell them we're going to do it. And so they told them, hey, we're going to smash Fallujah. 
And so all of those people decided to go up north to a place called Talifar, which was really right down the street from Mosul. So I was right in the middle of it in 2005. And then in 2010, it was a little bit more of a mature theater. And I got to use my skills as a urologist more, taking care of folks with kidney stones and other urological emergencies and trying to keep them in the fight rather than have them have to get evacuated back to the States to have treatment. Well, you mentioned just a few minutes ago your involvement in Officers Christian Fellowship, and I've had the wonderful honor and privilege to be uh, the main speaker for two different family camps, one in one in 2017 and then this summer in Colorado with you and your family. And the incredible, intense fellowship and prayer and crying together. I mean, there were, I remember somebody kicking a box of tissues towards somebody around the circle this summer as there were just some total transparency, sharing with another. It's just a delightful community for me to observe. So you've been a part of that fellowship and community at OCF and then part of CMDA. So can you talk to our listeners about the value proposition that you experienced both with OCF and, and CMDA and the, the strengths that both bring, brought, have brought to your life? If you look at the mission statement for OCF, I think it's very concise and I, it's exactly what they do. They equip military leaders for Christ-like service at the intersection of faith, family, and profession. And that really is what they do. They help you and give you resources in the community to help you be a Christian in an environment where you are not in control of everything that you do. You don't get to decide where you live necessarily, where where you're assigned, where you go. And it really gives you the tools to be Christ-like and what would Christ do in a position of leadership or a position of followership within the military. And I look at the the CMDA mission statement and very concise too. And I think the things that CMDA does very well is educate, encourage, and equip Christian healthcare professionals to glorify God. And that's really what it's all about. And I think that CMDA does a great job on the website and in functions and meetings of developing those resources that are available to Christian doctors, because sometimes you feel like you're out on an island. And in today's day, where a lot of culture war issues are going on, you know, sometimes it's nice to have a place to say, hey, this is a safe harbor where I can speak to people who understand where I'm coming from and can give me some resources to help me in my daily practice and daily life. I have a feeling that maybe 10, 15 years ago, you didn't imagine yourself uh, having your own podcast, uh, which you're calling War Docs. And certainly four or five years ago, I didn't think I'd be hosting a podcast. So tell us about how that idea was conceived in your mind and tell us about your podcast. Yeah, I I certainly would not have ever thought that I'd be doing a podcast, a weekly podcast, uh, five or 10 years ago. And the, the idea really came towards the end of my career in the military when I was working for our medical corps chief. And basically my job was to be somewhat of a shepherd for the leaders within the physicians within army medicine. And so I would really try to help everybody understand what was the mission, what we were doing, keep them involved, you have the communication stream going and folks came to me when I was retiring and said, hey, you know, when you were in that position, you did a really good job of keeping us informed and involved. 
maybe you should think about continuing to do that and have some kind of professional leadership development resource that we can use for military medicine or, you know, army medicine. And I thought about it. I said, well, you know, that's, that's pretty, pretty narrow. And, but I, I thought the idea of a podcast sounded interesting. And so that really kind of morphed. It's a long story, but I really wanted to tell the stories being in the military, wearing the uniform for 30 plus years. You just run into so many people with so many great stories, with so many insights and sure. lessons learned that you just want to, be able to just record that and have other people be able to hear that. And there's an interesting quote from Aldous Huxley, and I'll paraphrase it, but it says, the main lesson of history is that man doesn't learn the lessons of history. And I think that's so true. And, and one of the things that I try to do with War Docs is to tell the stories, preserve that oral history, honor the legacy, so that Physicians and other healthcare providers, nurses, PAs, physical therapists, can can take those lessons learned and be better providers in the future, and hopefully improve healthcare, while also improving some patriotism and you know fostering camaraderie for those who've been there and done that. And so it's really been a neat experience for me to get into the podcast realm. I knew nothing about audio engineering and how to produce it and how to do anything. But, you know, I'm a quick, pretty quick learner and uh, have really recently morphed this into a nonprofit 501c3 organization that's dedicated to doing what we do. And it's, it's really supported by donors and people who have a like mind who wanna get those stories preserved. And was actually able to talk to someone at the Library of Congress and we're going to put these interviews into the archives of the Library of Congress uh -huh. through the Veterans History Project. And so they'll be searchable in the archives. And I, I just think that it's something totally different. And I'm really enjoying it. There are a couple of other names on that podcast. I listened to an episode last night on mentoring with one of your guests. And I noticed a couple of other names associated with that. Who are those uh, military officers with you? So the, the two folks that, that really helped start it or were the impetus uh, were one, Wayne Causey, uh, who's a, an active duty Army vascular surgeon. You know, he is somebody that, that you met. He, I was able to yes, you know, tell him about that, that camp at Spring Canyon for the OCF and said, hey, you, you need to bring your family. This is a place of restoration, uh, resilience, community great impact on families. So it's able to get him. And so he's been very involved. And the other guy is Kevin Neary, who is also a vascular surgeon. And he had the most experience with podcasting. He's involved with some surgery directed podcasts. So you may have heard of Behind the Knife, which is a surgical podcast looking at preparing surgeons for academic or you know, just clinical challenges. And he also is involved in a vascular surgery specific podcast called Audio Bleeding. And, and so those are the, the two folks that were with me, kind of the starting impetus crew behind War Docs. Having been familiar with many U.S. military docs who maybe in their 50s, like you, are able to retire from the military and they're asking the question, what does God want me to do next? How have you found Christian military physicians, dentists, and other healthcare professionals, like you mentioned earlier, have you found them approaching the season of their lives, especially if they have a heart to please God and uh, make God's priorities theirs for the rest of their lives? Yeah, I think that 
a lot of times, and I think it was David Brooks who wrote a book called The Second Peak or The Second Mountain. And early in your career, you're focused on, you know, being productive, efficient, having really, you know, excellent uh, surgical outcomes or, or whatever outcomes and, and those type of things. But as you progress through your career, the general thing is to look toward that next peak where you go after, you know, some, some different values of, of humility and understanding, you know, that there's more to life than making money and being successful and, you know, being admired by everybody, you know, they're, they're different virtues. And I think that military physicians get to that point at the end of a military career. And they say, is there something more, is there something more meaningful that I can do? And it really, the military medical career prepares folks for things like missions in medicine, really during the, the career, you get opportunities to engage with multiple different cultures. For example, I was stationed in Korea and there's you know plenty of opportunities to be sta stationed outside of the United States where you get to meet people who may not look like you and have completely different cultures. Also had the opportunity to go on some military medical readiness missions to Honduras, to Ghana, and these are things that help prepare military medicine physicians to understand that there's another world out there. And then also you get deployed to, to war zones and you learn how to do things that are outside of your comfort zone. You may not have every single thing that you're used to in America. You can't get that MRI. You don't have that fancy technology, but there's people with need and you do your best and you take care of it. And our system in the military is an equal access system. You know, we take anybody who's a beneficiary. So we don't care how much you make, where you live. And if you retire from the military, you get a retirement you know, benefit. And so that also takes away some of that burden of how am I going to provide for my family, myself, retirement. And so I think that military medicine individuals really are you know, kind of the perfect folks to consider missions and, and other opportunities to serve God in, in ways that they weren't able to or didn't do during their military career. Wow. You're, what you've just shared caused me to remember that actually those founding fathers of S S Christian Medical Society at Northwestern, where you were, went on to serve in World War II. They were soldiers. And then all over the globe went out as missionaries after World War II for some of the same reasons that you've just described. It's there in our history book, the first 70 years following the great physician. So like you say, I hadn't really thought about it for a while, that it's it's an incredible preparation uh, the military is to think about being missional and uh, hearing what God has for you next. Boy, I'm going to really segue to a totally different topic, uh, Dr. Soderdahl. We hear a lot, uh, first under the Trump administration and now under the Biden administration, very different approaches to the whole concept of transgender ideology and its impact on the military. Over your past several years, how have you seen that uh, wave, tsunami, as I call it, uh, impacting the military? Yeah, I think the first thing that we need to do whenever we talk about this is to recognize the difference between the political aspects of these cultural issues you know, surrounding whatever it is, transgenderism, you know, you, you name it. And the reality that there are precious people with genuine struggles that are 
deserving of respect and medical care. And I think that's one thing that the military recognizes is that we have to be able to treat everybody with respect and dignity. And as physicians, you know, we are really called by our Hippocratic Oath to take care of anybody, irregardless if we agree with all of their their ideology or you know what their views of the cultures are. I had the opportunity to review CMDA's statement and uh, position paper, and I think it's very well written. And I think the main takeaway for me, and it's something that we did in the military, is that you know professionals caring for patients struggling with gender identity should do so with sensitivity, compassion, consistency, consistent with the humility, humility and love that Jesus modeled and commanded us to show all people. That statement stood out to me. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that that is where we should be as Christian physicians. That said, there are choices that are being made by physicians and other healthcare providers on how do we get involved in, in treating individuals who wanna have treatments that help them transition or do things that, that we may not feel are helpful or may not agree with. And I do think that you know the, the right of conscience where you know physicians really are able to follow their conscience is something that's important. And the military does allow uh, physicians to do that. And that's what I found was that I never felt forced to provide care that I did not, my conscience could not agree with. Wow, that's great. Uh, that is really great to hear, Doug, I, from the ins- someone like yourself on the inside to hear that in the military, Christian docs aren't forced to do things like refer for abortion or do abortion, I guess. Right. And and so recognizing that they're not outlawing those treatments, uh, you know, hormonal treatment, surgical treatments. And there are people in the military and obviously in the civilian community that are willing to provide those and, you know, understanding autonomy and, and people's right to make decisions in a free society that doesn't necessarily obligate Christians or other healthcare professionals to do things that go against their conscience. And so I think the the military has been supportive for, for both sides of the folks that are in that gender dysphoria who are, are wanting to serve. It's no longer an impediment to join the military, you know, where it was in the past. And I think we really need to be able to Again, the military is a big melting pot, all different types of folks, and that's why I really like it. Um, it, It's very diverse, and we have to learn how to work together. That said, there's going to be some, uh, you know, specific policy issues that come up. The military has clear expectations and guidelines for, you know, physical fitness, and they're graded whether you're a male or female. And so basically in transgender, the way the military looks at it is whatever your gender identification is in the official administrative system, DEERS, is how the military is going to treat you as far as requirements for you know male physical activity, PT tests, and things like that. And one of the things that's going to happen in the future is that the binariness of what the military does, it says, hey, there's male standards, there's female standards. There's not a fluidity between those two. It's binary. And so sometime in the future, 
the military is going to have to address, you know, how do you, how do you put somebody into a category where you're evaluating their physical fitness based on their gender identity? If they're according to, you know, the you know whatever that ideology is there's there's not just a binary male or female and so those are those are issues that i think that the military is going to struggle with in the future the other one is that the reason people are in the military is to be ready to do things in austere locations at the drop of a hat and so making sure that the force is medically ready to do that and any surgeries, any treatments have potential side effects that can impact readiness. And there's always a cost associated. So it, it's not a simple issue for the military. Mm -hmm. And a lot of effort has gone into trying to come up with a policy that respects autonomy, but also you know, looks at all of the, the p potential ramifications of what could happen. Where do you see things going in the future in terms of health care for our armed service folks? You suggested some things in July that might look a little different in the future. Yeah, I think that the most important thing for military medicine is to focus on the most important things, which are two. One is maintaining a ready medical force. And that means, can the medical providers, the medical professionals do what they need to do when called upon to do it in these austere locations? And in that ready medical force, are we the best in whatever specialties that we specialize in? Am I the best urologist for somebody who comes in who may be a family member who needs pediatric urology? Do I have somebody in my crew or a way to take care of them? That's a priority. The other one is a, a medically ready force. How do we get those experiences and competencies that we need? As really the whole medicine has shifted to a reliance on technology, minimally invasive techniques, super subspecialization, it's getting harder and harder to make sure that the people who we send out to the corners of the globe to take care of our fighting force, these are our precious sons and daughters, are able to do things that they don't normally do in a day-to-day -day situation. You know, instead of being a mile deep, an inch wide, you got to be, you know, be able to do all of those things. And so how do we do that? You know, can we continue to do it? in our military treatment facilities. And we're doing a lot, putting, embedding people into our trauma centers, civilian trauma centers all over the country. Can we develop simulation that really, you know, if you told a pilot 50 years ago that I could stick you in a box and make you more freaked out than you would be in a plane, they'd say, that's stupid, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. But you know, the simulators can do that. Yeah. Why is the military not leading the way? And they are doing a lot of things. And, in preparing people for things that you don't see. You know, some of the things that I took care of when I was in Iraq, I just could not even imagine. You know, patients who came in with both legs are gone. These are things that you don't see in America. You don't see in even in your busiest trauma centers. And yet that is what we're called to take care of. And so you asked me the future, I think we're gonna have to figure out ways to make sure that people get as the best experience that they can. And I think involving 
those civilian trauma centers and coming up with a way to have the military and civilian trauma centers in America completely integrated. And so, you know, we can get our military experience. And I think the people who have been deployed before and seen those type of things are a great asset to these civilian trauma centers to say, you know, hey, if this was a high velocity weapon rather than, you know, a 22, this is what we'd be doing. This is what we'd be thinking. These are the kinetics of injury. And so I think that is something that's going to change. Also with the Defense Health Agency coming on board, really looking at the tri-service way that the military provides medical benefits to its population. You're going to see more purchased care. Um, so care done with private insurance, TRICARE. And I think you may see a, a move to have a, a more robust reservist population mm -hmm. where a reservist is very, very busy doing things and then has a portion of their time that is dedicated for the country when the country needs them or are called upon when they're to, at their finest because they've been actively doing a particular specialty right they're, they're just they, you know, they're just knocking out all kinds of you know reps and, and and getting that experience that they need and if you can't get that at a military treatment facility i mean as a surgeon you know you want the person who's actively operating a lot to be the guy or gal that's operating on you Thank you for joining me today on CMDA Matters. Anything else you'd like to share before I close? Yeah, I think one of the things that I did want to share was just, you know, kind of a little plug for Wardocs and the amazing stories and things that have been learned. We talked to a medevac pilot from Vietnam. We've talked to people who organized the medical response to Mogadishu, Black Hawk Down incident. We talked to folks who jumped into Panama, who were ready to jump into Haiti, how they responded to the Pentagon and you know, really took care of patients on 9-11 and also you know, the, the conflicts, the OIF and OEF. And one of the neatest kind of anecdotes that I found that I thought was just awesome was we talked with one of the Ranger Regiment surgeons who just had an incredible career, but he was telling a story about being on Haditha Dam in Iraq. And it was just a really kinetic situation. They were getting fire from all sides. And he was in the middle of the dam and basically had a patient who he called Ranger John. He said, Ranger John came in, was just traumatically injured, and he had to intubate Ranger John in the middle of this dam. And then because of the fighting, they couldn't get evacuation out uh, for this patient. And so he's talking about, he's literally bagging Ranger John in the middle of a firefight on a dam for not one hour, two hours, three hours, four hours. He's wow. bagging this guy wow. and he's getting tired and he's got you know people coming in and say, how are you doing? He said, hey, could you bag Ranger John for a little bit? And just amazing story. They finally got him out, not even on a medical aircraft. They said, you know, we're going to have a non-medical helicopter bring this patient out because we just have to get him out. And so just incredible story. And then we published it. And a couple weeks later on Instagram, we had you know, kind of promoted the, the episode. I get this direct message and says, hey, I'm that guy. Ranger John, oh, wow. is there any way that you can get me in contact with the doc who took care of me? And I was able to get those two guys together. They talked for hours and, you know, just an amazing 
things that can happen. And, and the other thing that I wanted to share just about the podcast is that I found that especially military healthcare providers see things and experience things that a lot of people just don't and have no idea what it's like to care for patients in a war zone. And if you are in a war zone, even as a physician, you know, not as a, a, a door kicker and, you know, a tank driver or a fighter, you see things and, and it changes you. And being able to talk to people who've experienced that and do it in a safe way. One of the things that people will say to me is like, hey, you know, when we talk to a reporter, we, we feel a little bit, uh, you know, I don't know this guy, I can't trust this guy, but we know that you've been there and done that. We can trust you a little bit. And those discussions lead to, you know, some really almost therapeutic discussions about what we've seen, what we've experienced and really getting those stories out, allow people to say, it's okay to talk about these things. Um, suicide is a big problem for our veterans and PTSD exists. And there are some things that, that happen because of what you see in wartime. And so one of the things that WarDocs do, does, I think is, is makes it okay to, to say, you know, these things were tough and, and they were impacted me. And uh, it's hard to talk about it, but I feel like there are ways and, and people that I can talk to and get help. And so I think that's another thing that I wanted to just stress a little bit. Well, we've been talking with uh, retired Colonel Dr. Doug Soderdahl today on CNBA Matters. And I just pray that God will bless uh, War Docs, your podcast, as well as your influence and ministry there. God bless you as you continue on with War Docs. Well, thanks, Mike, and, and God bless you and the ministry that CMDA does. It's, it's very important, and I uh, pray for you guys as well. Thank you. In my role in CMDA's Center for Wellbeing, I personally love having the opportunity to talk with CMDA members just like Dr. Soderdahl. And even more than that, I enjoy listening to a few podcasts of War Docs, if you want to hear some of the incredible stories of these healthcare heroes who serve in our military, you can find the link in our show notes or you can visit wardocspodcast.com. You also briefly heard Mike and Doug talk about Officers Christian Fellowship or OCF. OCF seeks to help Christians in the military and their families grow together in their relationship with God and others, to unite them in biblical fellowship, outreach, and to encourage each other through prayer. To learn more about OCF, visit ocfusa.org. If you know someone in the military who could benefit from these resources, I hope you will take a few minutes to share this resource with them. When he was talking about OCF, Dr. Soderdahl talked about the importance of developing a community of believers and creating lifelong friendships through the network of Officers Christian Fellowship. I smiled when he was saying that because it reminded me of, of the impact CMDA has on our members. There is such value in having a community of believers surround you and support you. The root of CMDA's ministry is in campus and community ministries because you shouldn't have to walk alone through the hardships and struggles of healthcare training and into your career. We are here to walk alongside you and be a resource for you. Take this testimony from a CMDA member as an example who said, my experience in CMDA has given me a sense of accountability to my fellow believers, and I am inspired by my experiences to dive deeper into the Word and develop my prayer life. With more than 90 local ministry groups 
and over 300 campus chapters around the country, you can find connection just like this through CMDA. Our campus and community ministries team would love to help you get connected and find that community in your local area. For more information, visit ccm.cmda.org or contact ccm at cmda.org. Speaking of CMDA, would you consider sharing CMDA with your colleagues who aren't members? You know firsthand the impact CMDA can have on you and your ability to find joy and connection in healthcare. Your personal face-to-face -face invitation to become a member of CMDA is so much more effective than any email or promotion they can receive from us. Plus, you can give a gift membership to your colleagues to help encourage them to join. You can find more information about our exclusive member benefits and how to give a membership at cmda.org join. During today's conversation, you heard Doug talking about resilience and finding resilience amid the busyness of healthcare. It's no coincidence that resilience is the theme of our 2023 CMDA National Convention. Here's Jamie with more details about the convention. Here at CMDA, we hope you're planning on joining us at the 2023 CMDA National Convention in the Cincinnati, Ohio area on April 27th through 30th. This is the place to find resilience in your life, your faith, and your practice. Our speakers include Jerome Adams, former U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Daryl Bach from Dallas Theological Seminary, physician-turned-author Dr. Katie Butler, and many more. And last year, we sold out, so don't wait to register for this year. There is such value and support in joining together with your CMDA family at the convention each year. For more information and to register, visit natcon.cmda.org. Well, that's it for us this week on CMDA Matters. Our next episode drops next Thursday on Thanksgiving Day and I hope you will join me for a special episode focused on the importance of honoring God through our thanksgiving. I hope you've been blessed by today's episode and pray you are encouraged to continue bringing the hope and healing of Christ to the world. That's what matters to CMDA and CMDA matters. God bless. Hope you will join us again next week and tell a colleague. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.